Good evening. I am Associate Pastor Eric Corbett filling in for Pastor Rick this evening. And so, um, fear. People are afraid of a lot of things. Um, there are a lot of people who are actually living in fear. And um, everyone is afraid of something. I mean, I don't care how big and bad you are, there's, there's something that you're afraid of. Um, no one is, escapes that. Because fear, we see it first show up in the Garden of Eden after sin. And in Genesis chapter 3, uh, verse 6, it says, So when the woman, speaking of Eve, saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. So here we have, in the beginning, um, fear shows up after sin. Um, and uh, it's been here ever since. And so man first experiences fear as a result of sin, and his first fear was that of God. And so the title of the message this evening is, Whom Shall I Fear? And our text is going to be Psalm 27, verse 1, which I will read. In Psalm 27, verse 1, it just, it's a psalm of David, and it simply says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And so we're honing in on that first question that David speaks, and he says, Whom shall I fear? And so uh, the topic of this evening's message is the fear of the Lord. And so fear can somewhat, uh, it's, it's not necessarily always a good thing, but sometimes it can be a good thing because there is such a thing as called a, a healthy uh, fear. And a healthy fear would be of what? We can experience a healthy fear of uh, electricity. <laughs> you know, if you're uh, working around electricity and you know what electricity can do, then you're going you're gonna to kind of be aware of what's going on there. Um, those who uh, are sailors and, and mariners, those who are on the ocean, yeah, it's beautiful. It, it can get you places. It produces food. We can fish. But, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, you can find yourself in trouble very quickly. And uh, fire. Fire is another one. Um, you know, we, we need it. We can use it as a tool. It's very helpful to heat, to cook, to do all sorts of things. But, again, if, if you're not uh, careful Fire can do you in. And so it's good to have a healthy fear of some things. But the healthiest fear to have is the fear of the Lord. There's, there's not a fear that's more healthy to have than a fear of, of him. And so it's been said that if you fear God, you have no one else to fear. So if, if God is whom you fear above all else, well, then nothing else is really going to, in, in theory, <laughs> ideally, is going to rattle you. Um, but many people have no fear um, in a bad way. They have no fear and they have no shame uh, because they have no fear of God. Paul, quoting from Psalm 36, and uh, he states in Romans chapter 3, verse 18, it says, There is no fear of God in their eyes. And we see that all over the place today. Uh, we live in a society where, you know, all sorts of people have access, you know, 
uh, on Twitter, on Facebook, you know, on YouTube, on uh, news networks, whatever it is, they don't have any fear, no shame, and they are—they don't regard anything that's good or righteous or holy, and they are all about uh, promoting uh, that. And so um, there are many who do not have this fear of God. And even, unfortunately, amongst Christians, there at times can be a, a lack of a healthy fear of the Lord. And uh, this can be the cause of many problems in the church today um, because of a lack of a fear of the Lord amongst Christians. And unfortunately, you know, it's because they, they've lost sight of uh, having a proper understanding of who their God is. And once you do that, then the, the problems are going are gonna to show up. So in Psalm 27, verse 1, David asked the question, whom shall I fear? And so this is based off his previous declaration that, that the Lord is his light and his salvation. And David is indicating that because of who the Lord is and what he's done for him, that he doesn't need to fear anyone. And David, of course, when you know anything about the life of David, he had many enemies and had many reasons why he could have been fearful. Um, but David declares that, you know, he, he's not afraid. And so this is true based on the text that we have here. The Lord is my light and salvation. Whom shall I fear? And so David is declaring that he's not afraid. But I believe that we can also learn from Scripture that he could, all, he could only have this courage that we see him displaying here um, in his life and in this declaration and in this statement because he was someone who feared the Lord. It was because of David's fear of God that he, he could make this statement, I'm not afraid, so whom shall I fear? And so um, tonight we're going to look at what the fear of the Lord is. We'll look at what it looks like when it's in the place uh, in the life in the right place in the life and when it's not in the right place in the life. We'll also look at what it does for the believer and how it impacts the believer's ability to serve. So David says in verse one of Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? And I say that we can answer that question and say, he could say, I shall fear the Lord. Whom shall I fear? I shall fear the Lord. And that's what we want to do. We want to fear the Lord. So what is this fear of the Lord? The term the fear of the Lord uh, or this directive to fear God is mentioned numerous times in Scripture, particularly in the Old Testament. Um, oftentimes it comes from God himself. In Leviticus 19, 14. Oh, by the way, we're going to go through a lot of Scripture tonight. So just, get, just, just want you to be warned. Be ready. Leviticus nineteen fourteen says, you shall not curse the deaf nor put a stumbling block before the blind, but shall fear your God, I am the Lord. So the Lord is declaring to the children of Israel as he's laying out, you know, uh, uh, laws, how they're to conduct themselves amongst one another, um, and things that they should, should do and should not do. And he's saying, you shall fear the Lord because I am giving you this directive. So the fear of the Lord is primarily uh, not really being terrified of him. Um, but instead having a reverence for him. However, that reverence is to be carefully guarded. And um, there are cases when it can be a source of fright or terror as well. When we talk about the fear of the Lord, it can be a sense of terror, depending on who you are and, and how you side with the Lord. So in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2, this is what it says, uh, speaking of a Messiah, the coming Messiah, and saying that it he would have the, the Holy Spirit upon him. And 
Isaiah 11, 2 says this, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So here it clearly lays out that that one of the 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 attributes and one of the aspects of the Holy Spirit on the life of, of Christ would be this fear of the Lord. It would be the spirit of the fear of the Lord. So the fear of the Lord is an attribute of the Holy Spirit, and it's evidence of the Spirit at work. So whenever you get a sense of the, the, the fear of the Lord or you see that somewhere, that is, that is the, the, the Lord is, is working there. And so the, the fear of the Lord is something spiritual. It's, it's not something that occurs naturally. You're not just born with a, a fear of the Lord. Um, that is something that, that you acquire from, from the touch and from the activity of the Holy Spirit. So a healthy fear of the Lord puts things in the right perspective. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. So uh, the, the fear of the Lord is, this, is the beginning of wisdom. And so uh, uh, contact with the, the Lord and, and, and experiencing this fear, it's, it's, it's going to give you understanding. It'll help you kind of navigate what's going on. Proverbs 1.7, a familiar verse for many of us. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so the Bible is declaring here that, you know, if, if you want to learn something that uh, coming in contact with and, and experiencing the fear of the Lord is the beginning of that. It's the beginning of, of understanding and, and knowing who God is, what he's like, uh, what he expects. Um, that's true knowledge. Um, but fools, those who are contrary to, to uh, what God is wanting to express and to reveal of himself through knowledge and, of course, by this fear of the Lord, um, they're, they're, they're foolish. They're the ones that are despising what God is putting forth before them in terms of who he is. So to fear the Lord means that you have a proper understanding of who God is. And therefore, you understand your place before him. And that's important. It's important to not only know who God is, but it's also important to know who we are before him, um, how he views us, how we should view ourselves in, 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 in his presence. So what does the fear of the Lord look like when it's in place in the life? And what does it look like when it's not in place? Well, um, when it's in place and it's 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 proper place, it, it shows up as reverence. Again, there's that that reverence for for the Lord. And one example we'll look at is is Abraham. Uh, Abraham, great man of God, and you know he was before the Lord, pleading for the righteous in Sodom and Gomorrah because his his nephew Lot was there, um, and uh, so. The, the Lord, you know, Abraham has this encounter with the Lord and, and they, they, he comes to visit him with these angels. He stops off before they go into to judge the city. And, and Abraham stands before the Lord pleading with the city because he knows what's getting ready to happen. And we pick it up in Genesis chapter 18, verse 27. And uh, Abraham is already uh, basically the Lord has declared that if he finds 50 righteous within the city, then he will spare the city for those 56. And then verse 27, then Abraham answered and said, indeed, now I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy all the city for lack of five? So he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. 
And he, Abraham, spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. Then he said, verse 32, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went his way. And as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. So here we have Abraham and he's standing before the Lord and he's being very courteous and very, you know, you know, gracious. He's being very uh, humbled and, and, and very reverent in his approach to the Lord. I mean, he's, he's standing face to face with, with God himself, God Almighty. He just spent some time, Abraham serving him. And, and yet Abraham understands, yes, I can come to the Lord and I can ask him and plead for God to spare the city, uh, you know, for the sake of the righteous. But I'm, I'm not losing sight of who I'm talking to here. And it clearly comes out here in his language, in his speech. And so this is an example of, of what the fear of the Lord in the place in the life looks like when it's there. But the greatest example that we have in Scripture of this, this reverence, of this fear of the Lord, is, is the Lord Jesus himself. The Bible declares that Jesus would delight in the fear of the Lord. And we get that from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 3, um, that, that he, would, he would delight in the fear of the Lord. And, and the Lord Jesus did. In his earthly ministry, he delighted in the Father. And these are just a couple verses uh, from the words of the mouth of Jesus. Uh, Jesus said, answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. And then John chapter 6, verse 38, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So we have in the Lord this example where he's very clear. Even though he is the, the chosen one, he is the Messiah, he is God the Son, he has submitted himself completely and utterly to the will of the Father. He is, he is making it very clear that he is under submission to the Father in everything that he does. Uh, and that's, that's that fear of the Lord. That's the, 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 the spirit of the fear of the Lord upon him that he has set as an example for us. That, that we should understand, you know, and of course, in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane you know, he's, he's praying, you know, and pleading that, you know, if there's any way for this cup to pass, but he's, he, we know how he ends it. He says, but nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. So that is what the fear of the Lord looks like. And it is epitomized, of course, in, in Jesus' relationship to the Father. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7 says that in the, in the garden when he, was, when he was praying and he was those great drops of, of sweat and blood, uh, it, it says, Paul says that he was heard because of his godly fear. Here's, here's God the Son uh, in his in full-on humanity, but doing humanity like nobody ever else could, and, and exemplifying for us what the fear of the Lord in the life looks like. And uh, so we can learn so much from that, and we will continue to learn from him throughout the rest of eternity.
Well, we have a few other examples of men in the scriptures who they had to be reminded of what the fear of the Lord uh, is. They, they knew it. They, they, these are righteous men. They love the Lord. But yet and still, they kind of got a little shaky on their, uh, their understanding of what the fear of the Lord is supposed to be. The first one we'll look at is Jonah, one of my favorites. And uh, I'll just, I, I love Jonah, man. He just, just I, anyway, um, Jonah, of course, was sent by the Lord to go and minister to the Ninevites, and he didn't want to go. And he takes a ship and goes like 500 miles in the opposite direction. And uh, he gets on this boat. And the Lord sends this storm and this trouble starts up and they're trying to figure out what's going on. Jonah's down and asleep, you know, they go in and wake him up and uh, we'll pick it up in Jonah chapter one, verse uh, eight. And so, so these, these guys, they cast lots and the lot falls on Jonah. So they're like, okay, he's the source of the problem. So they dig deeper. So Jonah chapter one, verse eight, then they said to him, please tell us. For whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? So Jonah answers, verse 9. So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Uh, Okay, wait a minute. (laughs) So Jonah, they say, who are you? And Jonah's like, okay, well, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. And, um... He's declaring to these manners that he fears the Lord, which was a it was a it was a phrase to kind of indicate that he he believed in the the, the God of Israel, the 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 Hebrew God, um, and so he makes this declaration before them, but his actions don't prove it. You know, he's saying, "I fear the Lord." Okay, well, well Jonah, well, well, why are you here? What what's going on? And and we'll we'll pick it up in um, uh, verse ten. Uh, then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. So wait a minute. You fear this God that you're telling us that you, 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 know, you belong to and you worship. But yet you're being disobedient to him. You're running from him? Wait a minute. So how did the two match up? I fear the Lord, but I'm running away from him. That, that doesn't make any sense. And, you know, I think right here we have a picture of, of, a, of a believer you know, maybe they're in a place where uh, may, maybe their 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 devotional life is not really where it needs to be. Uh, and they're in the workplace, and somebody f- sees something. You know, maybe see a Bible verse, or so they, anyway, they find out they're a Christian. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. And but you know, their actions don't don't demonstrate that. Maybe you know other things that they've seen them do or or not do um, don't represent that they are a Christian. And, that, and that's what I think Jonah's doing here. He he knows he's very comfortable with saying, "Yeah, I fear the Lord," because there's nobody else around to check him in the head. There's no other, you know, prophets. There's no other, you know, Jewish people there that know Jonah. And wait a minute, Jonah, aren't you supposed to be going to Nineveh? (laughs) You fear the Lord? Oh, Jonah, what's going on here? And so it was very convenient and very easy for him to rattle off, yeah, I fear the Lord. But again, his actions weren't weren't proving that. But but the interesting thing is that these mariners, God still used Jonah. God, Jonah didn't really care, doesn't seem to be, uh, as we look in, in the text. He didn't really necessarily care 
for these guys. Not that he didn't like them, but, you know, they're like, well, what do we need to do? He's like, well, just throw me overboard. And um, he didn't care if, you know, his blood was on their hands or whatever. But these these men, they responded. They still sensed the fear of the Lord, even though Jonah wasn't necessarily representing him well. And in, in verse 14 of Jonah chapter 1, it says this. It says, uh, uh, they didn't. They didn't want to throw Jonah overboard, um, and it continued to grow more tempestuous against them. Verse fourteen. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord and said, "We pray, O Lord, please do not let us perish for this man's life, and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done it as it pleased you." So they picked up Jonah and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. This is incredible. Here are these guys. They have never heard of, the, or, or at least they have never worshipped or, or believed in Yahweh, this, this God of the Hebrews, this, this Lord of, of heaven and earth. They listen to this wayward prophet, and the fear of the Lord comes upon them. And, and it shows up in their actions. Jonah professed and proclaimed he was, you know, he feared the Lord, but his actions didn't prove it. These guys, their actions are demonstrating that they fear the Lord. They end up offering a sacrifice. They became believers in Yahweh and in, 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 in this, this God that Jonah said that he feared. They began to fear the Lord. And so here we have in our first example here of someone who really wasn't exemplifying the fear of the Lord, but yet God was still able to use him. Uh, the next one we'll look at is King Uzziah. And in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 26, uh, verses 16 through 22, this is what it says about King Uzziah. Now, he was a good king. He was a righteous man. Uh, Isaiah loved him, the prophet Isaiah. But this is what happens after he, he lost sight of the fear of the Lord. Second Chronicles 26, 16. But when he was strong, speaking of Uzziah, when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him were eighty priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense. And while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests in the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and there on his forehead he was leprous. So they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Then Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Uh, now the rest of the acts of Uzziah from first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amaz, wrote. So Uzziah rested with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of burial, which belonged to the kings, for they said, he is a leper. And then Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. So here's this man, this good king. Did many things uh, righteously and, and 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 pleasing to the Lord, but he he got puffed up and and he he lost sight of his place. 
And he decides that he's not only going to be king, but he's going to act as priest. And that wasn't for him. He had to be of the line of Aaron. And he had to be appointed to be, you know, he had to be born that way, you know, as, as a priest in the house. And, and not all of those who were sons of Aaron could become priests. There were certain qualifications. And so he decides he's going to do this. And, um, you know, he, he blew it. Uh, he ended up, ends up having to finish out the rest of his, his life and his reign uh, in isolation. And it says, you know, that his heart was lifted up. And that's something that, that we all have to be aware of and be conscious and, and be, be wary of. Not being puffed up, not thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. Because when you start to do that, of course, pride is at work and, and there's no fear of the, of the Lord working there. Uh, because we know where pride comes from. We know that the first one that ever had pride, his heart was lifted up and he has had a great fall. And I'm not talking about Humpty Dumpty. Um, uh, we'll talk about Satan. And so this man, Uzziah, his heart was lifted up. And, and as a result of his action, God basically said no. And, and God was merciful. God didn't, didn't destroy him, didn't take his life away from him. But as a result of his actions, there was a consequence he had to deal with. He was a leper until the day of his death. And, and so, you know, if, if we lose sight of, of who we are and what we're supposed to be doing. And we, we allow pride to puff ourselves up and to get ourselves into a place where we're not supposed to be. Then, you know, we may create a situation where there are consequences that we have to deal with that aren't going to go away right away, or they might not ever go away. They might be consequences that we just have to deal with for the rest of our time here. And that's what, uh, that's what this man Uzziah had to, to deal with. And so one of the lessons that we can learn from this example is that there are some places that we just aren't supposed to go. You know, um, you know there, there are positions maybe that we're just not supposed to have. Um, and, and sometimes there are things that we're not supposed to have. And, you know, God is, you know, is good at letting us know where our boundaries are. Uh, but when we, we try to override him and to go beyond those boundaries, that's when we get ourselves into trouble. Proverbs 27, 8, great wisdom here says, like a bird that wanders from its nest is a man who wanders from his place. We're supposed to know where we are. And it, this verse is very special to me because God has used this verse and is, I won't get into it, but God has, has very distinctly made this verse very real to me. And uh, I've never forgotten it, and, and I, I, hopefully I will never lose sight of this verse and what it means. Proverbs fifteen sixteen says, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. And Uzziah didn't weigh that out. He said, I'm going to serve as a priest this day. And that was the last time he was ever able to enter the temple. And so it's best if we remember where we're supposed to be. And the best place for us to be is wherever the Lord has us. The last example of someone who was a righteous person that lost sight of the fear of the Lord um, is David. The same man that wrote this psalm that is our, our anchor verse. And uh, David and those who were responsible for the ark of God got a little too comfortable and lax with uh, how God had instructed them on how to transport it. The ark had been captured by the Philistines. Uh, it, it, it comes back to Israel and um they just lost their minds. I mean, they had the scriptures. They knew how this was supposed to be done. And they just decided, no, we're going to bring the art back to Jerusalem this way. And uh, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, 
Uh, we'll pick it up in verse two. It says this. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him from Baal Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, whose name is called by the name, the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. Here, the, the writer, <laughs> the chronicler is, is giving an indication right here of the holiness of this moment and, and the contrast. <laughs> He's pointing out the the name of the Lord of hosts who dwells between the cherubim. Verse three. So they set the ark of God, ark of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, drove the new cart. And they brought it out of the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill, accompanying the ark of God. And Ahio went before the ark. Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments, on tambourines, on cisterns, and on cymbals. They're, they're having a good old time. They are celebrating. They are worshiping. They're like, man, we're bringing the ark back, and they're just enjoying themselves. And trouble is afoot. And uh, verse 6 of Second uh, Samuel 6. And when they came to Nashon's threshing floor, Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen stumbled. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Uzzah, and God struck him there for his error, and he died there by the ark of God. Party's over. <laughs> At this moment, this man, I mean, you know, God strikes him dead. Probably lightning, something, I mean, it was, it was visible. And so God is reminding these people this day of a very, in a very serious way that this is the wrong approach to him. This is the, he was, again, very clear on how, instructions on how the ark was to be transported. And so David's initial response isn't the right one. Verse 8, and David became angry because of the Lord's outbreak against Uzzah. And he called the name of the place Perez Uzzah to this day. So David's first response is, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing killing this man? (laughs) Wait a minute, David. This is not the way that this is supposed to go. You're not supposed to transport the ark like this. And um, so David, he comes around and then he realizes that what he's done is, is, is wrong. And then he puts distance between himself and his error. Verse 9, David was afraid of the Lord that day. He thought about it. And he said, how can the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not move the ark of the Lord with him into the city of David, but David took it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. So uh, David realizes that this 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 was a, a grave mistake, and a man died as a result of it. And uh, but then later he makes the correction uh, based on his renewed understanding that the Lord was to be revered and to be worshipped. This is not the ark of the covenant was not it wasn't a trinket. This was representative of the presence of the glory of God. This is something that, you know, is not something that everybody else has. This is how God had chosen to represent his presence among the the children of Israel. And he, he took it very seriously. So verses 12 through 15. Now it was told King David saying the Lord had blessed the house of Obed Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of God of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. So here is, is, a, is a, a, a 180. They have greatly corrected their error and 
have followed the instructions that were clearly laid out in Scripture. The ark was to be carried on the poles by the priests, the Levites. And, and so serious did David and, and those with him now take this that it said that when they had gone six paces, they would sacrifice oxen and fatted sheep. You know how long this probably took for them to get the ark in Tennessee? I mean, this is, this is serious. This is, they're, they're not playing anymore. And so a great reversal. And so even though David had a great responsibility in the incident, not to mention the priests and that caused the, the death of Uzzah, Uzzah wasn't entirely blameless either. And so this man, he, he was a Levite, I believe, uh, apparently. Um, he would have known the proper way that the ark was to be transported also and would have understood the risks of it being set on a cart as well. And he should have known that it wasn't for him to lay his hand on the ark. And he could have chosen not to. When the, when the oxen stumbled, he could have said, oh, no, <laughs> let it fall. Um, but uh, but he, he chose not to. He chose to, to touch the ark, to lay hold of it, and it cost him greatly. And so part of the lesson here is that we're not supposed to touch the glory Again, because that was what the ark represented. It re- represented the glory of God. And um, we're not to touch God's glory. Um, we're not to put man's hands on the things that only should have God's fingerprints on them. And that is a temptation that all of us can face, um, uh, wanting to, to, to be involved in the things of the Lord. But um, we are to be led and to yield to the Holy Spirit. And he will, he, if, when we listen to him, he will prevent us from getting involved in, in trouble like this. And uh, so when the fear or the reverence of the Lord isn't in place in the life of the believer, it will eventually show up somewhere. And we've seen some examples here um, when uh, the, the, that reverence for the Lord wasn't in place. And typically when it's not there and it shows up, it'll, it'll, it shows up first in some form of, of loosened restraint because that's what the fear of the Lord does. It holds us in place. And just like, you know, when somebody's inhibitions are, are, are relaxed, you know, um, then the restraint is gone. You know, when Moses and Joshua came down from the mountain. Uh, the people had lost restraint. They were they were having a good old time, and uh, and and Moses threw down the tablets, and then of course <laughs> he made them pay for it. He made them drink it. Actually, um, that golden calf, and uh, so <clears throat> that that loosened restraint can eventually lead to recklessness if it's uh, unchecked. We have a lot of freedom in Christ, but we should remember that we worship a holy God and we can't just come to him any old way that we want. Um, under the old covenant, you couldn't just waltz into the holy place in the temple. Um, there was a specific set of instructions, again, that God had made very clear on who was allowed and how they were to conduct themselves. But even now under the new covenant, because of Jesus' sacrifice, of course, the the veil to that most holy place was torn in two, and we have free access to the throne of God. However, that still doesn't mean that we are to approach God irreverently. We still must remember that he is still just as holy now, uh, even though the veil has been torn, than he he was when when the veil was in place. He's still the same holy God, and so we're to, to not lose sight of that. So for the believer, we're to hold God in reverence. And again, even though we're under the covenant of the, the blood of Jesus Christ, we are warned not to lose sight of who God is and that he's still to be revered. We have some New Testament examples, Ananias and Sapphira, some 
very stark ones. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, and he kept back, he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up, carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. So here these two, they made this plot and this ploy and the church was young and you know, God chose to make an example out of them that was recorded in scripture for all of us to learn from and to, and to be reminded of that this is a holy God. And, and he was, he wanted a pure uh, church and um, he was not going to allow it to be marred by this. And uh, so um, another example, I won't read it, uh, the, the whole example, but, but Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says that because of their, their lack of reverence at the communion table, there were many who were sick and some of them have actually even died. And it was a judgment from the Lord. And, and Paul was saying, look, God is not playing. He's very serious about the communion table and what it means to him. And you should uh, take that uh, to heart and it should be very serious to you as well. So believers may be chastened by the Lord at times, and sometimes severely so. In these examples, there were severe chastenings. But that doesn't mean that now these believers are now barred from heaven, or it doesn't mean that if, you know, you lose sight of uh, having reverence for the Lord, that, you know, that God is going to, you know, you're not going to go to heaven. I mean, just look at Solomon. <laughs> look at how, how he, his, the course that his life took, and yet he's in the hall of faith. So our salvation is secure in Christ. As, as Romans 8, 1 says, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so our salvation is secure. But again, this doesn't mean that we should take sin lightly, sin in our own lives and, and, and sin around us, because we'll all still stand before the Lord and give an account. This is still a holy, righteous God, and he's to be revered. So what does the fear of the Lord do for the believer? Um, I won't go through uh, all of the scripture references. If you want to take notes, I'll just mention those. Uh, so there's safety and protection in the fear of the Lord. Um, there is justice in the fear of the Lord. Second Chronicles 19, 6 and 7. There is faithfulness in the fear of the Lord. Second Chronicles 19, 9 and 10. Um, there can and sometimes should still be a bit of fear when it comes to the Lord. So the fear of the Lord, of course, is that reverence, that, that honor uh, to him. But, you know, part of it is, you know, again, not losing sight of this is God Almighty. <laughs> As Pastor Rick has said, I haven't heard him say it recently. You know, all God has got to do is just pinch the tube. <laughs> I mean, he's in control of all things. And uh, so we need to be mindful of that. 
Um, the fear of the Lord cleanses. Uh, Psalm 19.9, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. So when you have a, uh, a sense of the fear of the Lord, it, it, it has a cleansing property about it uh, for the life. Um, the fear of the Lord means that we don't have to be fearful. Again, uh, David said, whom shall I fear? Um, Psalm 3, 6, I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me all around. Um, Psalm 23, 4, I will fear no evil for you are with me. That fear of the Lord, part of what it does is it, is it brings us and keeps us close to the Lord. It, 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 you know, you would, you know, look at it and say, well, you know, that fear of the Lord, you kind of keep in a distance. Well, no, for the, for the heart of the believer, when you, when you know who he is and you love him, but then you regard who he is still being God and, 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 and this is awesome as he is, then you, you will want to be near him. You will want to stay close to him. You won't want to go out of bounds. And, um, uh, so that will protect us and, and remove other fears. Uh, Isaiah 41.10, fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So the believer isn't supposed to succumb to fear like the rest of the world because the believer, again, has the fear of God as their protection. It's like a shield. And the fear of the Lord is to help the believer, again, remain in place. Uh, we're prone to stray, but again, the fear of the Lord at times will be used to help us uh, be reminded to be close to him. And again, it's because of our love for him uh, that holds us in place. But that fear helps, too. And so Jesus is who we love, but he also is the same one that we're to fear. Proverbs 9.10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. And of course, Jesus being the Holy One, the demons in the Gospels declared that uh, Mark chapter 1 verse 23, that there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit and he cried out saying, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And, of course, Jesus rebukes him and uh, casts the demon out. Um, and so the demons recognize who he is, and they, they, they fear him. They, they know what's up. <laughs> and um, there are also times when his own disciples, um, who knew him, they walked with him, they lived with him, they ate with him, they heard him teach personally, sat at his feet. But there were times when they were afraid of, of him as well. Um, one of the, the good ones that I really like is Mark chapter four, verse 37. This is when Jesus calms the, uh, wind and the waves and, uh, they're in the boat and the boat seems like it's, uh, sinking. And, um, there, the, these fishermen, seasoned fishermen were panicking and Mark chapter four, verse 37, and a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he, speaking of Jesus was in the stern asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be? that even the wind and the sea obey him. They, to this point, they thought they knew him. Yeah, he's, he's Jesus of Nazareth. He's the Messiah. We, we're with the Lord. He has selected us to be you know, his, his, his apostles. 
and they had seen him do all sorts of miracles. But this this was on a different level right now. I mean, this is him controlling creation on a on a significant scale, and and it freaked them out a little bit. And they're like, okay, who is this? I mean, we thought we know who who this is, but we're seeing another element and aspect of of his sovereignty and his power that we have not experienced before. And and it it, it made them a little bit of afraid. And um, so for the unbeliever, uh, so for the believer, you know, we are to have a little bit of fear of the Lord and recognize who, who Jesus Christ is. But for the unbeliever, the unrighteous, it's not a reverence. It is a terror. Um, I won't read Isaiah 63, but if you read Isaiah 63 verses 1 through 4, it's about uh, the coming judgment. Uh, but we'll take this one. Revelation chapter 19 uh, verses 11 through 16. This is when the Lord comes back and we're with him. But Romans 19 verse 11. Now I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And on his name he has, on his robe and on his thigh, a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This is, this is not the lowly carpenter of Galilee. This is the king of kings and Lord of lords who's coming to do business. You know, uh, in, in Isaiah, it talks about his, his gar- who is this with his garments stained red with blood? I mean, it's, you know, the, the other parts in the Bible, it says that, that the Lord is a man of war. You don't want to be on the side of, of him and, and be in fear of him because it is a terror, one that you cannot escape. Um, you know, Paul writes to, in second Corinthians, he talks about, uh, you know, therefore knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. In other words, there's a judgment that's coming and it is terrible, um, which is an understatement. And, um, Hebrews 10 31 says, it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And then I'll, I'll, I'll sum it up with this one. Second Thessalonians chapter one, verses seven through nine. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. You know, if you're an unbeliever and you listen to this, he's like, well, I'm getting a little scared. Well, I sure hope so. I hope I hope that 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 hearing these verses and the reality of the coming judgment and being on the wrong side of the Lord puts a significant fear in you enough to to scare the 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 influence of hell out of you. You know, and if you don't know the Lord as your savior and you've never asked him to forgive you of your sins and you've never given your life to him and you don't want to experience this fear of the Lord because again it's it's uh, the fear of the Lord is, and, and being a terror is an, is an understatement unless you're willing to repent and to turn to him. And, uh, oh, what a glorious event that would be if, if you were in that case and you did that. Um, so 
David in Psalm 27, verse 1, he goes on and he says, The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And I think you can put an answer behind that. Um, The answer to that question is, I fear the Lord and I shall be afraid of no one. So how does the fear of the Lord impact the, the ability of the believer to serve? The fear of the Lord versus the fear of man and things is is no contest. Uh, the Bible is full of encouragements of us not to be afraid. Jesus urged the fear, <clears throat> excuse me, the fear of the Lord over the fear of man. In Luke chapter 12, verse four and five, he says, and I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he is killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. So Jesus is putting in contrast that no matter what man tries to do to you, it's not going to compare anything to what God can do to you. Um, so, so fear God. And he, it says, he says to, this to his friends. He's, he's telling us that, that the fear of the Lord is the proper place to have that reverence and um, not be concerned about anything else. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five says this, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. So there's not supposed to be a marked fear uh, of man in the life of the believer. And a healthy fear of the Lord can help keep that in check. And again, as stated earlier, if you fear God, then you don't have to fear man. So when God's people have a proper fear of the Lord, he can use that to use them to draw those who have not yet come to him. And um, we're running a little short on time, but uh, wrapping this up pretty quickly here. Um, we'll look at Stephen and um, his, his sermon in Acts chapter 7, um, verse 54. We'll start there. And Stephen gives this, this great sermon before the religious leaders. And here's their response. Verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears and ran at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. So here we have this this man, Stephen, given this this great and bold witness before those who needed to hear it. And he was a man who clearly feared the Lord above above men. He wasn't afraid of what they were going to do to him. And, you know, it shows because they stoned him to death. And so God was able to take this man, Stephen, and to use him to reach a man named Saul. Saul was present there. And this man, Saul, would eventually become this great apostle, Paul. Well, after Paul is converted and uh, he comes to Jerusalem and joins up with the the other apostles and declares to him that he's met the Lord. And then they send him away because he starts preaching and stirring things up. Paul then is used as a catalyst by God to stir up the church and in in the right way now. And in Acts chapter nine, verse 28, it says this. After Paul has, has, has gotten out and has, has uh, gone away. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, 
they were multiplied. So what's the result here is that because of the the intensity and the, the fear of the Lord of this man, Stephen, Paul is converted. Paul and, and loving the Lord and, and, and his fear of the Lord, obviously, and, and doing what God had called him to do, had this influence on the rest of the church. And then the, the fear of the Lord spread. And what happens? The church multiplies. And um, so uh, the fear of the Lord in the, in the life of the believer will allow them to be useful to the Lord uh, for service. And, um, and that is a form of worship. And Psalm 5, 7 says this, but as for me, I will come into your house and the multitude of your mercy in fear of you. I will worship toward your holy temple and to truly fear the Lord is a form of worship because, again, it is something that's from the Holy Spirit. Uh, Psalm 31, 19. Oh, how great is your goodness, which you have laid up for those who fear you. And if you set your heart to fear the Lord. And worship him, you will find yourself useful to him in many ways. And so to close, having a good understanding of the balance of what the fear of the Lord is, um, uh, that we're to reference him, uh, to regard him as holy, to understand who he is, no matter how, how much we love him and the closeness of the relationship that we have with him, he's still God Almighty, uh, but yet he loves us so. And um, and we love him and, and we regard him as God and having all these things in place will enrich our walk with him and produce fruit in our lives, but also in the lives of others, too. And I'll close with two verses. Uh, the first one is Psalm 34, 9. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. And then Psalm 128, verse one. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Let's pray. Oh, Father, Lord, it is uh, amazing that um, you invite us to enter into a close relationship with yourself. And, and yet and still you are the holy, almighty, righteous, perfect, um, sovereign Lord. You are God. And for you to seek relationship and fellowship with us, uh, just just that in itself is amazing. Uh, but, Lord, you also uh, invite us to, to walk with you and to be involved in the things that you do and uh, also make us useful to yourself. Uh, where there are things that you could do all by yourself, Lord, but you, you allow us to be a part of it. And so uh, this fear of the Lord that comes from your Holy Spirit, uh, Lord, may we understand and um, uh, uh, always, Lord, have have that in our hearts, knowing that it is it is you, the God of the universe, that has uh, enabled us to have this relationship that is so special. May you bless uh, us, Lord, that we may continue to be useful for you, and may you get us all home safely. In Jesus' name, amen.